0: Hello film lovers and welcome to another episode of The Films I Love Most podcast. Sit down, relax and whip out those cinematic snacks. It's time for The Films I Love Most podcast live. everyone and welcome to the films i love most podcast i am here to talk about don't worry darling i have literally just walked back through the door having just seen the movie and i have thoughts and i have comments to make firstly we all know that behind this movie, there is a lot of controversy from behind the scenes. In fact, there is more drama going on behind the scenes, I think, than in the movie itself, which is funny and ironic. And we will, of course, be talking about the drama. Um, Don't worry, darling. 2022 release. It was released this, this Friday. I am recording this on Saturday so it's the second day of release, so I do apologise if you haven't seen the film already. There will be minor spoilers and towards the end of this chat there will be big spoilers. I will be discreetly giving away the twist. Um, So if you haven't seen the film already, please um, I will warn you in advance when the uh, discussion of the twist is coming so that you can vacate or fast forward or just not listen to that part of the chat. So don't worry, darling. Um, Directed by Olivia Wilde, obviously starring her as well, which is a treat and always interesting when a director decides to take, not a huge role in the film, but a important part of the narrative. And I would like to say that Olivia Wilde's visual style, is very very unique, and you can tell that she has done her research, especially with films like maybe Stepford Wives, uh, films along those sort of the genre that feature in the fifties. There is a big dollop of One Division in there for sure. The first segment of One Division, uh, with you know like the nineteen fifties sitcom, there is a massive dose of that in there. Also, I was taken back to. Um, more sci-fi thrillers. Hitchcock, for sure, has an influence on this movie. Also, I would say that with the visual style, it's very, very claustrophobic, which I loved about the film. There was this intense claustrophobia taking part in this setting of mountains surrounding the town you know, a very small community when it when you got to see where the characters are living, it's sort of this horseshoe community, which are very interconnected, very insular, almost the houses are almost facing each other. Everybody knows each other's business. And I loved that. It really evoked the 1950s Stepfoot Wives genre, which I think Olivia Wilde was going for, which is fantastic. And of course, A lot of people will be watching this movie for its stars. Uh, Florence Pugh, which can do no wrong in my eyes. She is fantastic in this movie. The movie pretty much 90% centres around her character. There's very little of the film that doesn't involve her in some way. So she pretty much carried this movie, which was a heavy burden seeing... The character's journey is very taut and very emotional. So she did a fantastic job of taking that character from A to Z with lots of U-turns and lots of very emotional acting, which I think Florence Pugh is perfect at. I, I would put Florence Pugh up with one of my favourite actresses. And if you are a regular listener to this podcast, then... You will know that I absolutely adore Elizabeth Moss. Um, I would say Kate Winslet as well. An actress or an actor that can have that camera so focused on them and keep your attention and not even having to say a word. You can just tell how they're feeling through their eyes. And Florence just does that amazingly. She is just incredible in this film. And... Of course, we can't go without mentioning the beautiful Harry Styles, who, you know, many people have concerns or, you know, about his acting talent. I would say that he really nails it in this film. The part is pretty much tailor-made for Mr. Styles. You know, you have this very handsome, suave interesting career-based character who is basically there to woo his wife and there's a lot of wooing going on believe me and disappearing off to the secret project that all the men seem to be going every morning off to this project nobody knows what it is all we know is that occasionally there's earthquakes and I'm not gonna lie to you I'm not entirely sure where the earthquakes fit into the story But I'm sure that on a second viewing or even a third viewing, that would become apparent. Or if anyone is listening and who has seen the movie, can you please let me know what those earthquakes are about? Because I'm still a little bit in the dark. We also have Chris Pine, another stunner, who is playing Frank, the leader of the community. Interesting character. There's obviously a lot of sort of... (laughs) Leadership, like very charismatic. A lot of leaders are obviously, but he seems to have had that sort of cult charismatic side to him. Where you're looking, thinking, you know, Scientology is this a cult? Is there something else going on? What's going on in the outside world? Are we even in the 50s time period? Which was something that I was thinking about from the very beginning of the film. Do it? Does this actually take place in that time period? But Frank is very suave, very in control and very controlling. And I think his character is pretty much meant to symbolise the toxic masculinity that we swim in in this day and age. Unfortunately, there's a lot of themes running through this film of control and of desire and men who seem to feel that they are looked down upon by women i.e for example in this film florence pew's character alice she works as a doctor uh, this is a twist by the way so you might want to put your fingers in your ears but she works as a doctor in the real world and makes a lot more money, and also is more successful than Jack, Harry Styles' character. So there's this sort of power dynamic going on, and I don't think that Harry's character, or sorry, Jack, the character, is comfortable with that. And you get the feeling that the consequences that arise from the situation of this film is because of that toxic masculinity and men unable to come to the the fact that women are more powerful than them or on an equal footing. Um, You know, there's... I, I can't exactly remember what the movement is called, but there are men that are on the internet, you know, very sexist, very misogynistic towards women because they can't get what they want from a woman. This film very much talks about those issues which i thought was really really interesting we have a message let's listen who it's from it's nick hello dear i'm cooking i can barely hear you over this freaking vent do you hear that from my gas stove but i'm here hi nick it's been a while thank you very much for coming to join um from the states of course thank you very much for listening into my review here of don't worry darling So, let's talk about the the behind-the-scenes drama, shall we? So, this is all rumour. So, I'm literally just repeating the rumours that have been circulated. So, please don't sue me, Olivia Wilde. I am literally just repeating what I've been told. Don't shoot the messenger. So, there is a lot of drama that has gone on behind the scenes of Don't Worry Darling. Let's start with Shia LaBeouf who is obviously no stranger to Dorama, but he was originally cast as Jack Chambers. But something went on, we're not quite sure, which led to him being fired from the movie. Now, there are some reports that maybe Florence Pugh did not get along with him as much. Um, There was tension on set. Maybe there was some creative differences with Olivia Wilde we're not entirely sure what happened. We weren't there. So anyway, Shia LaBeouf got uh, fired. And then Harry Styles came on board to play Jack, which was a winning move. I think we can all contest to that. But partway through the filming, Olivia Wilde, for some reason, decided to contact Shia LaBeouf and tell him that there was a way for him to come back on board of the project and apparently sent him a video of her pleading with him to return and saying that Florence will get in line if he returns. And obviously this was very disrespectful to uh, Shia LaBeouf. Even more disrespectful, I think, to Florence Pugh, saying that she will get in line, seeing that this movie is, is about... Um, empowerment of women. I don't think saying comments like that was very helpful, especially from your female director. Thank you very much. So this issue arose and there was a lot of tension on set. So much so that Florence Pugh has not done very much publicity on this movie due to the drama going on behind the scenes. I think she wanted to distance herself slightly I think some of the revelations that came out in the press may have shocked her slightly and may not have set well with her. So she decided to not take part in any publicity or minimal, which I can completely understand if you are disrespected by your director. Not a great move there, Olivia. But then let's move on to the second part of the drama. So Olivia Wilde apparently got a little bit intense with Mr. Harry Styles, maybe fell in love with him slightly, maybe went above and beyond the boundaries set by any director and made a lot of people on set feel uncomfortable. Not a great move. Not only has she fired and then tried to woo back her leading man, but then she was fixated and fascinated by the new leading man, Mr. Harry Styles, who probably under that environment felt very uncomfortable. And I haven't actually seen a lot of publicity from him either. So I'm assuming that due to that drama, Harry Styles has kept his distance from the publicity of this film also. Lots of drama going on. Now, I'm only bringing up the drama because obviously with all of that in the press and that spoken about, people are gonna take that baggage with them into the movie theater. And when they're watching the film, that's gonna have a huge impact on their opinion. Hence why I think this film has got bad reviews. And it has got bad reviews. I mean, it's sitting quite comfortably on IMBD at the moment at 62 out out of 10. So 6.2 out of 10. Sorry, not 62. Ha! 6.2 out of 10. And um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's in the mid to high 30% of audience. um, The audience, basically, the critics have given it a lot more do i think that 6.2 out of 10 is fair yes actually i do in fact i would like to give it a bit of a higher rating than that a lot of people are complaining about the end of the movie about the twist itself which i actually think is quite a neat twist it's very much like black mirror i would say that this movie is definitely an extended episode of black mirror If you go in with that mindset, you'll probably enjoy it a little bit more because you'll have a little bit of an understanding and the lead up to the twist will be more, well, let's say plausible or digestible. And uh, so Black Mirror is a good mindset to go in with this film. And also I think the issue with the ending is that the film ends very abruptly And I think that from the moment it ends, the story that will continue from that is a very interesting story. In fact, this film definitely sets itself up for a sequel. Do I think we'll see a sequel? No, I don't think we will. I think there's been too much drama behind the scene, too much going on for there to warrant a sequel to this movie, unfortunately. But the film does end at a point where... The audience are expecting a little bit more. We want to know what happens to the characters after. We want to. We want a bit of a conclusion. You know, the present has been wrapped, but there is no bow, which I think has rubbed the audience up the wrong way, unfortunately. So I think that is the reason for the 6.2 out of 10 on IMBD. Critics are saying that the film, the build-up of the film is good the tension is great and i agree with that i think the tension and it moves along at such a speed there's never a moment to get bored in this film it's um the character building is there and events are happening frequently where you're never left in a lull and i think that really works for the film i would say where the film starts to unravel slightly there's a dinner party scene and there's a quite a heated exchange between Florence. Florence Pugh and Chris, uh, Chris um, because going say Chris Evans then, but Chris Evans is not in this movie. He's just in pretty much everything else at the moment. Chris Pine. Uh, so Florence Pugh and Chris Pine's character, there's quite a heated discussion between them. And after that, I feel like the film slows down slightly. I feel like the character um, of Alice... She sort sort of starts to act a little bit out of character, I think. I think that that part of the movie where it sort of comes to a halt was a bit of a mistake. And as an audience member, took me out of the movie because we'd been going at this quite a steady sp- pace. And then for the movie just to stand still, I think that scene uh, could have been edited better. But that's just my opinion. Who am I? Who am I? But I personally would give this a strong seven. Out of 10, I think that there are a lot of things that work for the film. I think people's criticism of the ending is unnecessary and a bit short-sighted. Do I think that there could be a continuation of this story? I do, but I just don't think it will involve the cast that we have at the moment due to, as I said earlier, the drama. So don't worry, darling. is in cinemas right now. Or if you're listening to this in the future, I suppose you could probably look, watch it on streaming or get be old-fashioned and get the DVD. But um, a strong seven out of ten from me. So thank you very much. And remember, don't worry, darling. <laughs> I, have it, I, have it, I have it. I have it. I have it. Focus right here. Just have a little drink. Yeah, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Hear the you and me Always. you and me all of you wives we all the time. We men we ask a lot can't you see we ask for strength <laughs> to be? food at home a house clean With And discretion above all else boys and their toys at least we know they're getting work done welcome to the victory project we're all here because we believe in the mission what are we doing changing the world what are we doing changing the world that's right what do you think they're really doing out there what do you mean The one thing they ask of us is to stay here. Where it's safe. Do you even know what the Victory Project actually is? Have you ever asked? Do you? Please. What's actually happening? Stop it, Alice. What if this place is dangerous? What if Stop it! One... No. I'm curious to hear where she's going with this. I need you to listen to me. You're lying about everything. We are not going backwards. We're pushing forward. Everyone is acting like I'm crazy. And I'm not crazy. Our life together. We could lose this. I don't trust him. everyone and welcome back to the film review show and now we're moving on to moonage daydream which is a documentary directed by brett morgan focusing on the life and career of the late great david bowie now if you are a bowie fan like me you will understand that this film had a lot of expectation and i will say off the the cuff that this film delivered, and I will go more deep into that. I must apologise for any sirens you hear going off in the background, for some reason there seems to be a lot of police activity around today, Uh, but this is not a review about a police documentary, it's a review of David Bowie's Manage Daydream. So let's begin, I suppose I'm going to have to split this review into two separate sections the sections are gonna be the content and then the style of the movie and the documentary itself. So this is a cinematic odyssey exploring David Bowie's creative and musical journey. And um, it's like I mentioned before, a vis- visionary film maker, Brett Morgan, and was also sanctioned by the Bowie estate. So there is a lot of archival footage that is used in this film that has been given the nod by Bowie Estates. So there's a lot of rare content or content that may not have been seen since it was first broadcast, interwoven into this documentary. So I'm gonna talk about the visual style of the film first because I think it's really important to talk about the two things separately. This film is beautiful to watch. It is very stylistic brightly coloured, cut and edited within an inch of its life. It is so clever how they do that. But I think when you have imagery as strong and bold as Brett Morgan has incorporated into this documentary, you need the sound to equal that. And of course, the sound is going to be the soundtrack of Bowie's life. And it just fits and interweaves perfectly together. I sat and watched this film with my jaw on the floor. It is absolutely visually stunning. It is so cinematic. I think this is the first film in a very long time where I have sat quite close to the screen. If you know my cinema habits, I do like to sit quite close. I was totally absorbed into the style of this documentary. I thought it was really, really well done. I cannot fault it at all for its visual and audible style. And then we have the content. And obviously, if you're a David Bowie fan, this documentary is totally for you. It starts right at the beginning and ends at the end. And we hear very personal stories and a very personal look into the mind and the thought processes and the private life of Bowie. Bowie created characters, you know, Ziggy Stardust. He created characters on stage to sort of hide, I think, his true personality and insecurities. And this film really goes into that. And there's interwoven documentary or interview footage from Bowie talking very candidly about his life growing up as a child, his relationship with his mother and father. I mean, there wasn't a relationship at all. With his mother, he talks very openly about that. Um, his drive into the creation of music and style. He's almost obsessive. It was, honestly, obsessive drive to create new techniques to make music and art. What I found beautiful about this film as well is we're not just talking about the music. It talks very deeply about his love for film cinema painting sculpture david bowie was a jack of all trades he really knew his his art and he knew what he liked and there is a lot of clips and footage of his art and filmmaking and he was immensely talented in that area as well some of his um paintings absolutely mind-blowing if you can go and have a look and google some of david bowie's art you won't regret it even better get yourself down to the cinema and watch Moonie's daydream also what's very candid is his isolation bowie really talks a lot in this film or the, or the clips that they use about being an isolated figure and how he works better and writes better and is more created as an insular person. And I find that really fascinating. And it's not until later on in his life that they talk about opening up his heart to his wife and letting more people in, which I think they talk about it in the bit in the film. When he started to do that, people thought that he was selling out slightly. His music changed and his creativity changed. And people thought that was a bit of a sellout, but it was a time in his life where he was most free and was appealing to the masses because, like he says in the movie, he never begrudges anyone who can get an audience, which I thought was a great way of saying I'm creating music now for the masses. And he loved that. It is possibly one of the best music documentaries I've ever seen, not only because it is fascinated and factual about the subject matter, but as I mentioned before, the visual style of this movie will keep you hooked from the moment it starts until the moment it ends. It is stunning. Go and see it in the cinema. I know a lot of people will be tempted to skip this in the cinema and maybe watch it on HBO when it's released. Get in the cinema and watch this movie. You have to experience it on the big screen. It will definitely benefit your viewing it's also very emotional there are scenes in this film where bowie is talking very candidly and for me um it's when he starts singing starman and he's on stage in front of a huge audience and he's being very open opening his heart um, about his um, struggles and about his private life with the the soundtrack to um Starman in the background, and it is very evoking and very, very touching at the same time because you are hearing a man talk very candidly about his life and about his emotions, and this is a figure that is quite mythical if you think about it. David Bowie always liked to put across this kind of, you know, godlike persona which was a character that he created so to hear him talk so candidly about his life and his anxieties was really telling and obviously with his music soundtracking that was absolutely stunning so I think you could probably tell that I am a huge huge fan of this documentary uh, Moonage Daydream and I would advise you if you have even an inkling of interest in Bowie or his music to get out and see this as soon as possible, because you will not be disappointed. And I'm giving Moonage Daydream 100% on 10 out of 10. It's a 10 out of 10 for me. I absolutely loved it. And I can't wait to see it again. Are you there, David? You're aware of a deeper existence. Are you there? David? Are you there? David? Maybe a temporary reassurance that indeed there is no beginning, no end. and you find yourself struggling to comprehend a deep mystery. Ever since I was 16, I was determined to have the greatest adventure that only one person could ever have. Ah. Mm-hmm. I'm an alligator. I'm a mama-papa calling for you. I'm the space invader. I'll be a rock and roller dance for you. And what and how about the shoes? Are those men's shoes or women's shoes or bisexual shoes? They're course. shoes, you silly. <laughs> The cold nights start to creep in. Of course, it is time for the horror movies to start being released at the theatres and, of course, on streaming. And as we approach Halloween, it only gets more and more scary to step outside your front door and walk into a cinema. And the latest offering is a movie from the director Parker Finn. And that is, of course, Smile. Now, I'm going to say from the off that Smile's trailer and publicity is very, very misleading. And also, as with most horror movies, all the scary bits are in the trailer. So if you are expecting anything more from the movie, then unfortunately... The trailer holds all of the scares and jumps that you would require. So if you're going into this movie just for the jumps and scares, I would save yourself an hour and 55 minutes and just tune in to the publicity. But of course, that's not how we roll here at the Films I Love Most podcast. Here we go and we watch the movie itself. So Parker Finn directed a short film called Laura Hasn't Slept. This was in 2020, and it's 11 minutes long, and it was submitted for a festival. Now, Laura Hasn't Slept is actually a prequel to Smile. So off the back of that film, Parker Finn got a full feature, which is the movie Smile. So let's go into it. I don't want to obviously give too much away, but I will give my honest review. As with these reviews, I do, record them pretty much as soon as i walk out of the cinema to give you a raw reaction so i literally have just got home from watching smile probably it finished about five minutes ago so after witnessing a bizarre traumatic incident involving a patient dr rose cotter starts experiencing frightening occurrences that she can't explain rose must confront her troubling past in order to survive and escape her horrifying new reality straight off the cuff i'm just gonna say that this film holds a lot of references especially to things like it follows the ring and the babadook i wanted to get that out there as quickly as possible as i was watching those films it was very emotive of those features um someone who is holding on to trauma which is which is causing them to experience a different kind of trauma in some ways but also that idea of a curse something passed on through an action so in it follows it's passed on through sex in the ring it's passed on through the videotape well in smile it's passed on through a witnessed suicide So every time someone is infected with whatever it is, the entity, the demon, they must kill themselves, but they must be witnessed doing it. And then the person who witnesses them, that means the curse is passed on to them. So that is the story. Now, visually, this film starts off really well. It's very unusual these days to watch a film which could possibly become a franchise, I'm just going to say that, which is not done by Jason Blumhouse. Uh, I think that Blumhouse, at the moment, have the monopoly on a lot of the horror franchises and horror movies, but this is a paramount production, so it's almost like these studios are starting to take horror a little bit more seriously now to build up their own franchises. Of course, Paramount have uh, Friday the 13th as well. So the structure of the movie is weird because there are moments in it where it just stagnates. Nothing happens. We are just watching reactions to events occurring. And I think that is the main problem of the movie At the beginning, it's very fast. We get into the scenario quite quickly. We get to know the character of Rose Cotter. She used to have a boyfriend who was a policeman. Something happened between them. We're not quite sure. Uh, That's Joel, played by Kyle Galna. And she has a new fiancé now, Trevor, played by Jesse T. Usher. And she's living in this kind of world where she's experienced trauma as a young person and now she's trying to help others so she does 80 hour weeks working as a mental health nurse and that is where she meets her patient uh, caitlin stacy who uh, plays laura weaver who also is in the prequel movie the short film which i mentioned earlier so she meets her and witnesses her suicide and therefore takes on the curse This film has a lot to say about mental health and our attitudes towards it. A lot of external characters refer to people as odd jobs or nutcase or, you know, crazies. So there's that stigma of mental health. Now, I'm not entirely sure whether that was the theme that the film was going for, but I did find that that was a issue that the film was dealing with, people's perception of mental health. And also there was a lot in the movie about uh, post-traumatic stress. So that a lot of people talking about incidences of a child witnessing their mother's death or causing their mother's death in the case of uh, Rose Cotter. And carrying that sort of issue or that that mental post-traumatic stress with them all the way through their life and being haunted by it. Now, the film's called Smile. And every time the entity is witnessed, they have a massive smile on their face. Now, I didn't quite know how to interpret it, but I interpreted it myself thinking of people painting on a smile when they are going through mental health crises, people walking through life with pain and trauma but keeping that smile on their face hiding it away from the outside world that's kind of what i took from that representation that the creature has that big scary smile on their face it's almost a facade and what behind what's behind that facade is pain and hurt so that's what i took from that mentioning the visual style it is a beautiful film it's very very well made some of the shots are very visual I think that there is an element of style over substance here unfortunately like I was saying about the script stagnating and the characters not really going anywhere I think that they've tried to maybe paste over that slightly with some very interesting visuals but you can't do that because as we know and as I have mentioned many times here the films I love most podcasts is that the script and story is everything. You can have the most beautiful visuals, the most beautiful looking movie. But if you haven't got the script and the story, you ain't got a movie. And for the first half of this film, they have the script, they have the story, it's great. And then it just hits this roadblock where nothing is happening, you're spending all your time with Rose and you can kind of see her going through the trauma, but there's no, she's not really trying hard to find a solution or to push through. It's only in the sort of last 15 minutes of the movie that she kind of realises that there is a way out for her potentially, uh, but it takes a long time to get there. Very long time to get there. And then the last 15 minutes of the film, well, I don't want to give two minutes, too many spoilers away but i do feel that the concept and the story were there but they didn't know how to finish it and it finished it ended it's got very much a and i'm gonna say this and if you have seen this movie you're gonna realize what i mean you know straight away so i do apologize but it does have a very much drag me to hell kind of ending very open-ended um Very traumatic, very visual. But unfortunately, I just looked at it and thought, well, I've just sat through two hours of this movie, so you can potentially set up a sequel. And I don't like that because if you can do it in a clever way, if you can do it in a way that is subtle and neat and puts a big bow to the rap present then perfect, but there was no bow to this present. In fact, they just kicked the present across the floor at the end, which was really disappointing because they put so much groundwork in the first half of the film to really bring a conclusion that could be very interesting and deal with a lot of, you know, bring to the forefront a lot of the issues that they've been talking about, i.e. the mental health and the post-traumatic stress. But unfortunately, they just sort of kind of dismissed it and went with a franchise view ending so that is my smile review i do not want to give too much away because i do feel like you need to go and have a look and make up your own minds but i will say the first half of the movie is very well executed and the story is gripping the second half unfortunately is on a ski slope down to a bin fire yes i would give this are probably a six out of 10. And I'm giving it that purely because the idea was there, the concept was there, and they pulled it off for the first hour. But unfortunately, like I mentioned, the second hour was disappointing. And I did get to talk to a couple of other audience members as I was leaving, and their view was that the film did not live up to its expectations at all. In fact, when we left, none of us, we're smiling. What is it you like to talk about? My patient. Oh. Hi. <laughs> I know you're nervous. I just want to have a chat. I'm seeing something no one else can see except for me. <laughs> it's smiling at me. No! Oh, my God! Yesterday, a patient in your care died brutally in front of you. I need to find an explanation for what happened. It's smiling at me. It's smiling at me. Cases ...involving 19 victims with a direct line linking them all together. You said only 19. Why is it that everybody else who's seen it is dead and you're alive? I've seen it too. You? Get her away from me! How long between each victim's death? None of them survived longer than a week. Today is my fourth day. I am not going to keep running. I have to face it. How does that make you feel? <laughs> I'm just really scared that something bad is going to happen. Rose. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Films I Love Most podcast. Don't forget, you can contact us at filmilovemostpodcast at yahoo.com or on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we look forward to welcoming you back next time here on the Films I Love Most podcast.